0: are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Selkaga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 1067 listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502.
1: You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Find us on Twitter, at Point Gardner, at Intern Jaws. Call in at 334-321-1390. Phone lines are open. We want to hear from you. Live on esb 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. We're also on Facebook at the various facebook pages radio alabama sports espn 1067 and on fox sports central alabama that's how you can watch and listen to the show online as well as on espnau.com and on fox sports 983.com lance how you doing today, my man, on this excellent Wednesday afternoon?
2: Well, I don't I don't want to... I, whenever I say what I'm about to say, I don't want people to be offended because I mean it ironically, but today I'm rolling tide. That's just how, where I'm at. I like to ironically roll some tide every now and then. I'm a, I'm a really big Auburn fan, but every now and then I'm just like, I'm in a good mood, things are going well, rolling tide. What does that even mean? Exactly. So if you... you something that I like to do... Exactly with, so. <laughs> to, 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 to make fun of Alabama fans, you'll hear them say some of the... Some of the stupidest things in relation to Rolling Tide. So, for instance, like, oh well, yeah, congratulations, your wife's pregnant. Roll Tide, yeah. It's like, oh yeah, well, this has derailed. Yeah, we got it on, We got a down payment or so. Oh yeah, Roll Tide. It's like, so I like to things say things that are
1: unrelated yeah, to stupid, anything. Rolling tide. tide,
2: exactly. So whenever I'm having a good day, or hey, I was like, oh yeah, I went to, I got a really good meal. Roll Tide. Like, I'm on the show today. Roll Tide. You know, I'm
1: just having a good time. Interesting, interesting. I Understand i think auburn folks do it too though oh yeah
2: oh yeah one day they say war eagle one day one day noah you will you will join me in ironically rolling some tide
1: what about ironically warring
2: eagle oh no i war eagle very seriously (laughs) no that is that is reserved for no it's not a joke very serious occasions
1: well thank you for joining ironic lance Daw. Maybe that should be your Twitter handle. Iron- oh, that's... No,
2: no, no. I can't go You're that still route. searching, right? <laughs> I'm still searching. I may need to ask some friends, just see what they have to come up with because they're far more creative than I am. I, I'm having a tough time. Tough time finding a Twitter handle.
1: We've got your 8 day depth chart series today going to continue to go through the Auburn depth chart. And today it will be cornerbacks here with you on the line. We'll also be doing... The safety position next week and then that'll do it for our 8 day depth chart series so this week it's going to be cornerbacks and this is probably one of the deepest if not the deepest position groups on the entire football team and it's going to provide this coaching staff some very difficult decisions moving forward in terms of who's going to get snaps
2: yeah, and especially in the, in the secondary, you look at what Auburn's bringing back this season, and if they had gotten that other West Virginia transfer, Auburn would be absolutely loaded at the cornerback and safety position. So Auburn's got their hands full in that in on that defensive side of the football. Also at linebacker, Auburn's got a ton of different options outside of Zacomi McClain and Owen Papo. Apparently Chandler Chandler Wooten is having a very good spring as well. So Auburn's got. Got some options on the defensive side of the football. Uh, we were actually talking a little bit earlier before we went on air about how, I, I can't remember, Nick Eason, I believe, is, no, it's not, it's not Eason, but whoever Auburn's defensive line coach that is. That is Nick Eason. Oh, my, I'm sorry. I was, for some reason, I, I was confused. Anyway, Regardless. He was talking earlier about how he, he was mixing and matching some guys on the defensive line, but he wasn't quite sure what to do yet. So Auburn on that defensive side of the football, they've got a lot of things to figure out, but it's a good problem to have when you have a bunch of different talented guys that you can plug and play.
1: Roger McCreary, obviously untouchable at the top of this depth chart. So let's go ahead and get into it, breaking it down. I've gone six deep. How far have you gone on your depth chart? As far as depth chart, it's six deep. I've gone six deep six deep I think there are six different guys that you could see receive playing time I don't want to say substantial playing time because I think as you get down to five and six the snaps are going to be sparing but I do think you see these six guys on the field more than anybody else okay yeah I thought you were meaning six deep like you started at cornerback
2: and you went one cornerback and then this five guys that could have potentially been behind him yeah I went I went about six or seven deep as well
1: So at the top of that, I'm assuming Roger McCreary is there for you as well. Yes. Untouchable at the top of this depth chart. Zach Etheridge was talking about him today. He said pretty much the one thing they're working on with him this spring is just general football IQ and proving that he's the most draftable of all of these individuals on this depth chart, possibly a round one or a round two selection in the 2022 NFL draft. Coming back to college this year, I thought he could have gone pro this season. Probably would have been a day two or a day three selection in the NFL draft had he gone this season. And that's nothing to turn your nose at. He very well could have still ended up on an NFL roster and playing. I just think he would have been buried on an NFL roster next season. And it wasn't as certain that he would have made a roster, I feel like, if he had came out of college this year. But coming out next season, he's going to use this year as a way to improve and make himself a more well-rounded cornerback shore up the things that NFL scouts are going to want to see from him just generally improve his draft stock I thought he had the most to gain from any player on this football team other than maybe Eli Stowe for coming back for another season and I say Eli Stowe because I think if he had another solid healthy year as like the leading receiver, the top target in this Auburn receiving court, maybe he could have gotten drafted. I don't think we see Eli Stove get drafted. I know that's a that's a side tangent. We're talking about cornerbacks here, but Roger McCreary is going to improve himself by an entire day if he stays healthy this season and puts together a great year. You could very well see this guy signed in the first round of the NFL draft next season. Yeah, like you mentioned, this guy probably could have gone
2: to the NFL last season But again, as you said, he probably would have gotten buried somewhere in an NFL depth chart had he done so. I think it was a really smart move to come back, kind of polish the things that he was doing wrong last season. He was actually coming into this season, according to Pro Football Focus, he's Auburn's highest rated player, like just period. Offensive, defense, Pro Football Focus has him as the best player returning for the Tigers this season. So he definitely, he he could have gone pro last year, according to uh, PFF. He's statistically one of the best corners in the nation. Uh, 33rd out of 419 qualifying cornerbacks in the country, just based on his pure coverage grade. Uh, So he's very, very talented. He's efficient in pass defense. um, But I do believe that there are a couple different things that he can come back and polish up so he could develop himself into a potential first-round guy.
1: Number to call, 334-321-1390. Tell us who you think are going to be the starters at the quarterback position for Auburn next season. We want to hear from you on that. General thoughts as well. Anything sports-related, we welcome here on all The Line. We want to hear from you. 334-321-1390. Phone lines are open all show long. At Point Gardner, at Intern Jaws on Twitter. That's how you can tweet at us and take the discussion to the digital world on the Twitterverse. So make sure you find us there, at Point Gardner, at Intern Jaws. In what ways can we see Roger McCreary improve this season to take his draft stock to the next level?
2: Well, something that he was able to do really well, both in 2019 and 2020, is he played very, very tight coverage. He didn't really allow easy throws. There are a lot of very contested throws that the opposing team would have had to make in order to beat Roger McCreary. We saw it in the LSU game, how how important he was to that potential. Auburn could have won that game based off of defensive alone, alone, and I feel like they did a fantastic job against LSU in 2019, and McCreary was a huge part of that. Unfortunately, Auburn didn't come out on top. But McCreary forces tight throws and very difficult throws because he plays so tight uh, against his man. I feel like he's not incredibly consistent, and that and something that he can polish up is, is being able to do that every single down and every single play. And if he can do that, first-round guy for sure, hands down. I mean, you see the statistics that Pro Football Focus have put out there. He's already one of the best in the country. 33rd, if he can get that up, he's definitely a first-round talent.
1: I want to see him truly exhibit the qualities of a lockdown cornerback. Zach and I talked about this yesterday, and now I've had an extra day to think about this topic and whether or not I would rather see him lock down one side of the field or follow the best receiver on the other team. I would like to see Roger McCreary, hands down, follow the best receiver on the other side of the team, lock him down, put him in a straight jacket, don't let him go anywhere, make him less effective, and do that every single game this season. I want him to become... One of the top man-to-man coverage threats... In all of college football, see, and if he's able to do that, he's getting drafted first round next year. You say that,
2: and I would have to go back and watch film, but Auburn almost did that the entire season. Yep. Looking back at last season, they would lock down the other the opposing team's number one receiver outside of Devonta Smith. So whenever you're talking about consistent you, consistency, and you say you want to see it all year from him, and I say I want to see tight coverage all year, you got to be able to do it against the best. And I understand that Smith is a Heisman winner, but you got to be able to at least put some put somewhat of a clamp on really good first round receivers if you want to be a first round defensive back 100 J. jc horn did it against seth williams we saw that how that turned out he's
1: a third round receiver at best but jc horn did it against some of the best that the sec had to offer across his entire career at south carolina so i think that's a great example let's move to the two spot now in the depth chart we're not going to get it through all of it on this segment we're just going to take bits and pieces and meander our way through it through the rest of the show so let's get to the second spot here and then we'll park it Nehemiah Pritchett is my second guy on the depth chart I think we could see him at various locations I think he excelled on the outside last year when Jalen Simpson went down with an injury he jumped him on the depth chart with an impressive second half campaign pretty much any time we saw someone put into the slot cornerback role or the nickel cornerback which was what it was called last year we saw them struggle whether it was Christian Tutte Nehemiah Pritchett, I felt like, struggled there at times. Tennyson struggled there. Pretty much anybody that was forced to play in that role struggled. So that makes me think that it was possibly a scheme thing, not necessarily the player's fault. I think Nehemiah Pritchett, whether or not he ends up in the slot corner position on this defense or he ends up on the outside, though, he's physical, he's disruptive, he appears to be in the right position most of the time, which helps him limit yak, as Levi likes to say, which is yards after catch when you're in the right position even if your receiver makes a play on the ball even when their offense is better than your defense at least limit the big plays and that's something DMI Pritchett did really well last year and ends up being one of the top returning cornerbacks in the entire SEC statistically in several categories it's one of those things though where he's flying under the radar coming into the season things that you wouldn't expect him to be excelling at statistically because he's not the big name out of this defensive backfield because Roger McCreary is that's the guy that other teams are going to be talking about Roger McCreary they're not going to be throwing his way they're going to try and throw everywhere but Roger McCreary's direction that's where Nehemiah Pritchett excelled last year and Jalen Simpson as well but because Nehemiah Pritchett jumped Simpson on the depth chart at the end of last season I think that stays that way. I actually have
2: Pritchett at number three, and I have okay. Drashawn uh, Miller at number two. Spicy. And I think the numbers back it up. I think just looking at, he, he missed 2019 with an injury, but just looking at what he did in 2020, I think.
1: You know, he's not with them in the spring at the moment, though.
2: Right, right. So I, I, I do believe that he he's very very talented and i think he's going to be a huge boost for the tigers this season i have him at number two west virginia gave up like only 160 yards passing per game last season and that's in the big 12 that's in a really good uh, a pass oriented conference uh i just looking at some numbers from pro football focus they actually graded him this season as the third best transfer in the country um all
1: positions or just defensive backs all positions so
2: 77.6 coverage grade that was the uh, I believe that was the fifth best in the country he also had the fifth best force incompletion rate at 22 or 24.4 percent in the power five so he's got the numbers to back it up he's a talented cornerback had eight pre- uh, passes broken up last season only had one pick but the dude is obviously solid in coverage and I think pair him with Roger McCreary Auburn We I think I talked about this a lot uh, on yesterday's show, Auburn may have one of the top 15 to 10 units overall in the secondary this season. They're very talented.
1: I have a hard time evaluating Dreshawn Miller here in the spring because he's not with Auburn in the spring. He's going to be a late arrival. He'll be coming in the fall with all of those other guys or, or in the summer post spring action. He's coming with all of those freshmen that signed on National Signing Day back in February that were not early enrollees. So I have a hard time evaluating Dreshun Miller because there are guys around him like Jalen Simpson, Nehemiah Pritchett. Those are the guys that he will be competing against for playing time. And those players have been here for over a year in terms of playing time, much longer than that, of course. They've been in the program for longer than a year, but they've had a season's worth of starter snaps. And then on top of that, they also got the spring to develop here at Auburn. So it makes me wonder if that sets Dreshawn Miller- back a little bit on the depth chart but you're 100 correct he's got the talent also the other hard thing to evaluate here with Miller is he obviously transferred to Auburn for a reason this is somebody that this coaching staff went out and recruited not Malzon, but this coaching staff and they obviously want him coming here it's probably some playing time promised right. in that especially considering he started last year at West Virginia more of on the line on the other side of this break
0: you are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater we'll be right back
1: You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Also, you can view us on Facebook. You can watch the show digitally on Facebook. Once again, on the various Facebook pages, Radio Alabama Sports, Fox Sports Central Alabama, and ESPN 106.7. Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. Between collegiate and high school sports content, we've got you covered. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. We did our 8 day depth chart series in that previous segment. We're looking at cornerbacks today. We got through spots one and two. At the top of our second hour, we will revisit it, and we will take a look at those remaining spots and wrap up that 8 day depth chart series with the cornerback position. And then next week, we've got the safety position to completely finish it for the spring and then we'll redo this whole thing once again it was a disclaimer that i said several times throughout us doing the A Day depth charge series i was saying look this is just what we've got for the spring this is going to change after we see a day and we've got to clean up what all we missed we'll do it again back in the summer or over in the summer once we get closer to media day and there's more that we've learned and there's more guys on campus so That'll be fun. Op- uh, that'll be a fun off-season topic that we'll get into later on in the summer. But I want to take this in a different direction here. Some SEC and then just general collegiate news going on yesterday. Some articles out that LSU is being sued for fifty million dollars by associate athletic director Sharon Lewis, alleging things such as retaliation uh, from LSU in regards to some of their sexual harassment cases that they've got going on. A lot of allegations. There, just some interesting noteworthy or or newsworthy information there once again that is LSU being sued for 50 million dollars by associate athletic director Sharon Lewis I don't like to get too far into things about allegations and whatnot because they are allegations and investigations are ongoing about a lot of things inside the LSU program because it's not just this things are compiling things are building up right now in the LSU program in terms of investigations you got allegations of impermissible benefits inside the football program Allegations such as these right here with the sexual harassment case against Les Miles and then something that Ed Orgeron's dealing with right now with former player Darius Geis and some things that are going against him. I mean, there's a lot of things going against this LSU program as far as distractions are concerned in the offseason and during spring practice when this team right now, you know, obviously no program wants to have any type of distractions. I wonder how much this affects them during the spring when they're desperately needing improvement right now inside their football program after a disappointing season last year in the SEC. Yeah, and not only
2: that, but even though Sean Miller was the one fired from Arizona and we'll get to that in a minute, <laughs> Will Wade was trending on about t- basketball, yeah. Will Wade was trending on Twitter even though Sean was the one fired and everybody on Twitter was saying well, if, he, if he's let go, why isn't Will Wade shuff, suffering any repercussions of his actions that were apparently very obvious uh, just a year or so ago? So this LSU program's got a lot of issues as far as face goes right now, and it's very, very distracting. And I think, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about this a lot on air, and we talked about it last season, about how we didn't think LSU was going to be very good last year, and we still think this coaching staff is not good enough to continue continue the run of success that they had with Joe Burrow so moving into this season with all of these different distractions and the these allegations and the in the school being sued and the issues with Orgeron I mean it's not looking good for the Tigers right now moving forward
1: no and I love that you bring up the football program and Ed Orgeron and us thinking that they're not good enough coaches to turn it around after last year that was before all of these distractions unraveled back in November and onto our current location and time this lsu football program in addition to having to focus on what they can do on the field orzeron's dealing with 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 eyes and investigations into his program among a lot of different issues and it's raging on all kinds of topics not just infractions in terms of impermissible benefits a lot of things building up against these LSU athletic programs whether it be football men's basketball this athletic department has got stuff looking at them as well I mean there's a lot going on and LSU I'm not so certain that the people they hired this offseason are the answer to turning around the football program either if we're just talking about on-field things here because I'm not super high up on anybody but Joe Brady right now in terms of what they've been able to do at LSU with a quarterback because name someone who's been successful or outrageously successful or has has added something to the quarterback position at LSU outside of Joe Brady. Can you? None. No, I can't. Even, exactly. Even before Joe Brady with
2: Burrow, I mean Burrow wasn't great with uh, I don't no. remember who the I don't remember who the OC was. I don't think it was Nussmeyer, but whoever was the OC. I think OC. it was Ensminger at the time. Right. So outside of Joe Brady, the quarterback whisper LSU has not been very efficient at that position actually. I don't think they've been efficient at that position for at least 2 one or two decades statistically now that I'm remembering I've been listening to a lot of different SEC podcasts recently and I
1: would say two decades but I'd give you a a decade I'd say late 2000s early 2010s was the last time we've seen on a year-to-year basis them have a consistent weapon at the quarterback position if I'm remembering this correctly LSU
2: was either last or next to last in quarterback efficiency for like the past seven or eight years leading up to that year with Joe Burrow Wow, that's hard to believe. And because there are some other teams in this league that I would have pinned there, like Vanderbilt. Right, right. And I, be- I believe that is true. I'd have to go back and look, but I believe that is accurate.
1: Well, even if that may not be one hundred percent accurate with them being dead last, I definitely would believe them being in the bottom half of the SEC, which is not, which is not a great thing either for them to be consistently in the bottom half when you recruit as well as you do at LSU. And Ed Orsran, the former defensive line coach, does not. I mean, he he thinks defense. He is not offensive oriented, right? What he got to turn around his program a couple of years ago was an offensive guru and Joe Brady, who's now back in the NFL doing his thing there with the Panthers. And I think he got the most that he could have gotten out of the Panthers last year, continuing his success in the NFL. Despite the fact that the Panthers were a disappointing team a year ago, he still got probably more than the average individual would be able to get out of that offense. So let's switch gears here. Let's go over to the college basketball spear. We got Sean Miller out at Arizona fired, and this comes after self-imposed one-year postseason ban for this past season also major allegations and charges levied against this Arizona program by the NCAA and now Sean Miller out and this Arizona program not in a good place when you're talking about trying to find replacements
2: no and they've been on a downward trend for the past two or three years I mean they haven't really been able to do a whole lot in the NCAA tournament haven't made the sweet 16 since 2016 since then they've either been in the first round or just straight up not made the tournament uh, so moving on from Sean Miller, who was a pretty pretty decent coach at Arizona, I'm not quite sure who they would go after. I'm really hope they don't go the uh, the North Carolina route, and uh, pick it pick an assistant coach. I think I think they've got to go after a bigger name.
1: Shocking to find out that they haven't been to the Sweet 16 since that long, but I guess that's right because I was thinking back to the year that DeAndre Ayton was the number one overall draft pick in the NBA draft back in 2018. And I believe that was a rather disappointing year for Arizona that year. Yeah, I believe they lost. Did they lose to Nate Oates in Buffalo that season? Yeah, it was
2: Buffalo. They got blown out by Buffalo. Oof. Oof. Indeed.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oof. So this Arizona program, the outlook of this situation and where the Wildcats go from here, I think they're going to have a hard time attracting a major name in college basketball or even a major name such as – like Nate Oates has become a – household name in college basketball due to the storm that alabama brought college basketball this year and then being in the top six throughout a large portion of this season he has become a hot shot name in college basketball for major collegiate locations for head coaching in arizona falls into that category for me because of their history but not right now Arizona is not right now you're 100% I knew you were about to jump on me about that this Arizona program that's why I think it's hard for them to find feasible replacements to dig them out of this that was the direction I was going to this in the past this is a major job when Lute Olsen is coaching here this is a major job and Sean Miller did a pretty good job with Arizona I think largely underwhelming in the second half of his tenure with Arizona and that begs the question was he really that successful after all if he succeeded early on but was unable to sustain success over the course of his 12 years at Arizona? But nonetheless, this is still a major name in college basketball history. And the fact that they're not going to be able to attract other major names or even just like middling major names, like Alabama is not a major program that you think of when you think of college basketball, right? No. Arizona is historically, so maybe you think that you could attract a coach that's doing pretty well at a middling location that's been having a couple of up years like Alabama. Maybe you could attract a Nate Oates. Not now, not because there are probably going to be NCAA penalties and sanctions coming against your program. You're going to have to go out and get an assistant and somebody that's possibly just duct tape for, the, for these next couple of years to try and tide you over until you get out of these sanctions and you can truly rebuild
2: right it's going to be very difficult for them to find an up-and-coming coach especially if they're going to have NCAA allegations tied with this firing of Sean Miller it's going to be a really tough time period here for Arizona over the next two or three years and like you said I think you said it perfectly getting somebody that can be the duct tape just to kind of hold them over until they can get out of all of the these allegations and they can go after a real coach because if I'm Nate Oates there's no way I'm leaving no Alabama way. to go to in, into that dumpster fire to potentially get all of these different things exactly. thrown at me with the NCAA. There's no way I'm getting into no that. way. So if I'm somebody like the guy at U, uh, UNGC, I believe it. It's Greensboro. West Miller. Yeah, West Miller. I'm not going to somewhere like Arizona. I'm going somewhere else, right? So it's be, it would be because really, it can really sidetrack your career. Here. Right. It would be really really difficult for them to find somebody that they can put the, that can put the program on track right now. Exactly. I just really really concerned about where they go or what direction you know what now that I'm thinking about it they may actually have to hire an assistant coach
1: let me throw some names out there for you want to know if you think they're going to go me and you both agree that Nate Oates not a shot here no way no. I don't see it why would you leave Alabama you got the number three overall recruiting class of the country no way there on Nate Oates Georgia Tech with Josh Passner. I
2: can see it but based off of watching Josh talk a little bit before, like even during the ACC tournament, he seems like more of a culture guy, and I think he's trying to develop that at Tech. So I would, I would say maybe, but I don't know if you'd be willing to leave Tech.
1: Quick yes or no here, Arkansas, Eric
2: Musselman. No, I think they're building something right now.
1: I like that, such confidence they're building something right now over in Fable. We're building something here on on the line, and we'll be back on the other side of this break. Still gonna talk Sean Miller. Also, what's going on with the Braves today? We got a lot coming up here on on the line.
0: Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back.
1: Back on On the Line, Noah Garner and Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. Between the Max Roundtable, On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more. Seven hours of local sports talk radio. That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. Halfway through hour number one here on On The Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you. Now we're going to welcome in Sting, intern Sting, onto the mic. Sting, how you doing, my buddy? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day, and I'm excited for this segment. As you lead into that, I'm going to make you wait on it just a few right, more minutes. Fine. Some baseball talk here. The Atlanta Braves finally get a win this season, one of four on the year now as they win Game One of a doubleheader against the Washington Nationals. They take down the Nationals seven to six in an offensive display. They found themselves down four to one after the first inning, and they were able to come back with five runs in the second to ultimately win this ballgame after seven innings. So because there's a doubleheader today, they only played seven, and the Braves end up taking down the Nationals. Seven to six, Ronald Acuna Jr. leading the way for the Braves. He's had two good days in a row now for Atlanta. Came away with three hits, two runs scored, one RBI across his four at-bats. He was three for four today, brought his season average up to three thirty-three which has not been – it's been pretty low. I'm going to be honest, guys. He got it up into the 200s yesterday. It's been pretty low before that. There's some other Braves hitters that are pretty low at the moment. Freddie Freeman only batting 133. Oh, no. Marcelo Zuna at 118. Ozzie Albies is not even at one yet. He's at .050 on base percentage as well at .050. So Ozzie Albies having a tough start of the year in that two spot. I mean, your best hitters right now are batting 250, 211, and 333. Those guys, Travis Darnot at 211, Austin Riley at 250, and then Ronald Cooney Jr. at 333, as well as Max Freed, who is somehow also batting at 333, which he did not have a great showing today on the mound. Max Freed was the pitcher who was jumped all over early, only went two innings in his start, gave up five runs, all five of which were earned, eight hits, three strikeouts, one walk, and one home run allowed in the ballgame. Nationals losing pitcher today. Fetty for the Nationals. He gave up. Six runs, five of which were earned across uh, six hits, excuse me, not seven, and one and a two-thirds innings pitched. He only had one strikeout and walked three. And the winning pitcher for the Braves today, the W given to Tomlin for Atlanta for his two innings of relief after Freed went out, did not allow a run, did not allow a hit, two strikeouts, one walk across those two innings of work. So Atlanta now seven and six, and they they should be getting ready for game two pretty soon here. I think it was set to start somewhere around 205 but it must have been pushed back it has been pushed back 245 p.m first pitch start for the Braves at the Nationals Oscar Noah and Steven Strasburg are the probables for the Braves and the Nationals Braves needing to dig themselves out of an 0-4 start to the year they got a chance to do it here but Strasburg's not going to make it easy definitely would give the edge there probably to the Nationals in that pitching matchup but the Braves did get their first win today barely getting by the Nationals This afternoon, after blowing a lead yesterday and losing on a walk off single late last night, six to five to the Nationals. So, splitting so far with the Nationals, a chance to win this series tonight. Let's see who the Braves are in action against tomorrow. Do not believe the Braves play tomorrow. They do not. The next time the Braves will play after this series, they go and rematch with the Phillies, but in Atlanta on Friday at 620 so that's the look at the near future for the Braves and what they got going on today but now as Sting was excited for this segment I am as well I thought about this yesterday I said yeah I I think tomorrow's going to be a good day to do this we're going to do our college basketball superlatives for the NCAA tournament and if you're like Lance and didn't know what a superlative was before the show began it is what you find in your yearbook like most likely to succeed best dressed and whatnot and I love doing segments like this for different things i did it a lot during college football season i just think it's a great way to break down what we saw in the ncaa tournament here so let's get into it college basketball superlatives and we'll start it off with best offensive team of the ncaa tournament gentlemen who wants to go first
2: i'm gonna uh, let sting go first yeah. but i think i have an answer i want to see what he says
3: i'll go first yeah i mean I think it's Baylor just because I think that was fully on display in the final four with how they they seemed to just make every three they took and they really did that all season. I mean that Second half was, of their tournament run, I definitely agree with you. Yeah, what, what what was their percentage on threes in the year? It was like it was insane. It was like forty five. Forty four percent they led the country
1: in that category.
3: Yeah, I mean you can't it's hard to stop that. And they played so well. They were just a really good team too, because they had Really great guards in Jared Butler and Donovan Mitchell. I think that they were the best offensive team this season.
2: I think overall, this season, I in in, in the NCAA tournament, I gotta go with Gonzaga. Uh, I just think outside of that national title game, you know, they scored. Let's see, they scored ninety eight in the first round, eighty seven in the second, eighty three in the third, eighty five in the fourth, ninety three points against UCLA, and then they laid that dud against Baylor. I believe that was actually their season low.
1: Uh, 70 points scored against Baylor but they still had they were a... still rather efficient in that ball game when you look at the averages for them they still shot like above 40 percent of that game yes. it wasn't as bad as it fall. so
2: three three-fourths of the way into the game I looked at the stats I was like well they're shooting their average they're shooting 55 percent from the floor that's their average <laughs> on the season they ended up shooting like 51 or 52 percent so they still had an I didn't efficient even realize it was game. that high. Uh, insane right so it's just a testament to how good this team was offensively 91 points a game on average so I'm going to go with Gonzaga
1: I'm with Sting I like Baylor in this one and a lot of it has to do with what they did in the second half of their tournament run and I totally understand I I was going between Gonzaga and Baylor here and, and your statistics definitely support your point for an entire tournament run that Gonzaga was the overall best offensive team but Baylor did it when it mattered and Baylor used that offense to beat up some of the better defenses in the ncaa tournament and then to go on and win a national championship namely i'm looking at what they were able to do against houston beat them 78 to 59 you don't just do that Uh, of course when we talk about best defensive team of the tournament i think you can put baylor in this category as well i agree with some of their performances but I, i i gave the offensive team to baylor because that's their nature that's their style of play And all season long, this was one of the top offensive teams in the country, if not the top offensive team in the country. And they put it on full display in the back half of the tournament when they really got hot. After that Villanova game in the Sweet 16, they made it to the Elite Eight. In their final three tournament games, they score 81 against Arkansas. They score 78 against one of the slowest teams in the entire tournament in Houston. On top of that, one of the better defensive teams, one of the most efficient defensive teams of the entire tournament in Houston. They score 78 against them, and then they go toe-to-toe with Gonzaga, who is also one of the better defensive teams of the tournament, and put up 86 on them, while Gonzaga also still shot around 50%. Outrageously successful offensive performance once they finally got going in the Elite Eight and on. So I'm going to give Baylor best offensive team. I don't know what was going on for the first three games, but they figured it out late. I'll give them that category as well. Best
3: defensive team, gentlemen. I'm going to go with the Loyola Chicago Ramblers. They led the country in in opponent points allowed per game with, I believe, 56.1. But this is
1: for the tournament, Sting. They only went two rounds. Or three rounds. Still. They did perform well. They held Georgia Tech to 60. Illinois, one of the best offensive teams in the country, to just 58. Illinois was coming in with, like, a number seven overall efficiency rating on the offensive side of the basketball, according to KenPom.com. So I'll give you that one. Holding Illinois to 58 and knocking out a one seed, that's a big deal. And then they only gave up 65 to Oregon State. Right, that may be too much bad. when you're talking about how bad Oregon State's offense looked coming into the tournament. But still, you're right. Across their three games, defense was the name of the game for Loyola Chicago. I, yeah. th-
2: I think there are two different ways that I could go with this as far as best defensive team. I think you could either go Baylor, and I think there are some statistics to back that up. And I 100%. Think you could also go with Oregon State, as you just mentioned, who made the Elite Eight and did it off of defense i mean look defense at the team alone look at the teams that they played they gave up 56 to tennessee they gave up 70 points to an oklahoma state team that knows how to light it up
1: they also have the number one overall pick in the nba draft exactly. this year with Cade
2: Cunningham. they gave up 58 to loyola chicago and although they lost to houston houston only scored 67 points and they averaged 76 a game so oregon state had a run of their own too i would i would put them i would put them up there with Baylor, who I believe is probably the best defensive team out of just out of the entire tournament, simply because they got to play, what, two or three more games, and they were able to flex their muscles a little bit. So I would say you could go either Baylor or Oregon State, and I wouldn't be mad at it.
1: Baylor punched above their weight class on the defensive side of the basketball for what they were showing us all season long. You you finished the tournament run here for Baylor and you think, man, these guys were were holding out, right? Because they hold Hartford to fifty five, not a big accomplishment. Wisconsin to sixty three, also by virtue of pace of play, doesn't seem like a big accomplishment, but Villanova to fifty one, Arkansas to seventy two, and Arkansas can fill it up, especially with how fast they play the game. Houston to fifty nine, and then Gonzaga, a team that we thought was going to be well, I thought they were going to win the national championship. You didn't. You had Baylor winning, but still just so impressive to see them hold Baylor to 70, or Gonzaga to 70, rather. Baylor, I think, could be in this category. I'm going to go different than both of you, and I'm going to leave Baylor out for this because I'm trying not to have duplicates in mine. I will have one or two duplicates later on, but I'm not going to give it to, to Baylor in this one. I'm going to go a little bit more out there. I'm going to say Houston. I feel like Houston played outstanding defensively across the course of the tournament. Held Cleveland State to 56, Rutgers to 60, Syracuse to 46, Is that the lowest amount of points that anybody scored in the entire tournament? It might have been. Alabine
2: Christian scored 47 against UCLA, but I think that might be the lowest.
1: I believe so as well. 46 for a Syracuse team that was on a run as well. You held someone to 46 points in the Sweet 16. Oregon State to 61. You get to the Final Four. And, of course, Baylor did score 78, and that's where their tournament came to an end. But I think in terms of one of the better defensive teams in this NCAA tournament, if I'm trying not to give too many uh, duplicates away, I'm going to say Houston in their at best defensive team,
3: most well-rounded team. Hmm. I think. I, go ahead. Oh yeah. Sorry, I was just telling him how much time was left. Uh, I got. I had. I had a tough time with this actually. I, at first, I had Illinois, and I was like, "Well, no, they lost in round of 32. I ended up settling with uh, UCLA because I think there's they just they played great on both sides of the ball throughout the entire tournament, especially there in the uh, elite eight against Michigan and the final four against Gonzaga. They really only lost to Gonzaga because of. An all time shot from Jalen Suggs.
1: They were going to go to a double overtime period. Right. Well, we don't okay. Know that. Yeah.
3: But they directly lost because of that shot. Sure. I, I just think. And then and against Alabama, they were able to score when it really mattered, especially in overtime there. And they were able to keep Alabama from scoring when it mattered. So. UCLA is my most well-rounded team
2: yeah I think I gotta go with UCLA here just based off they were able to make shots whenever they had to and they were able to get stops whenever they had to and this was a complete as I like to say round team instead of (laughs) well-rounded team just they they were very very efficient on both ends of the floor and that's the reason why an 11 seed got to the final four and they almost made the national title game
1: this one's a little bit more based on what we saw in the regular season than maybe what we saw in the tournament I agree with both of your points with UCLA because UCLA did win each game in different ways. But I'm going to go with Michigan considering they had one of the highest offensive efficiencies going into the tournament. Also coupled with one of the best defensive efficiencies going into the tournament. I think they were at 6-5 and on those respectively according to KimPom.com. And the way that they went about winning games was kind of different. Against Florida State, excellent defense, but also an efficient offensive performance out in the Sweet 16. LSU, they had to outscore the Tigers. I'm going to completely ignore the 116 game in the first round. And then they lose to UCLA because, for some reason, their offense couldn't get up against a team that actually had a relatively low defensive efficiency going into the tournament. UCLA played like a top-10 team, and they knocked off a top-five team, a top-four team there with Michigan. But I'm going to say most well-rounded team, going into the tournament because i felt like they were really good in, in all facets of the game of basketball michigan another team that i think you could place here was gonzaga across the entirety of their of their tournament run but i'm trying not to limit this to to final four teams, final right? Four teams. <laughs> right, right i'm trying right. not to and of course when we continue this segment of the other side of this break we are going to have we're, we're going to branch out a little bit toughest team best dressed team most likely thing to remember from this tournament we still have six categories left here with college basketball super, superlatives Stay with us here on On The Line. Back on On The Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Intern Sting at the controls as well, and we're going to welcome him back into the show for another segment of our college basketball superlatives. But before we do, follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the line, the drive with Bill Cameron analysis, news, and more, all on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com and on Facebook. That's Fox Sports Nine Eight Three. Dot com Number to call to get you through to on the line as phone lines are open. 334-321-1390. We want to hear from you. We're going through our college basketball superlatives. So if you got any thoughts on that, if you've got anything to add to that, or if you've got anything else you want to talk about, Auburn-related, anything in the sports world, we'll hear from you. Once again, 334-321-1390. That's the number to get you through to on the line. Continuing on with our college basketball superlatives as we wrap up our number one of on the line before we do let's take a listen to what's on tv tonight hey everybody it's noah gardner with what's on tonight it's wednesday and that means a new episode of the mass singer on fox at seven it's the group b finals as the remaining singers battle it out for their spot in the super eight it's an all-star family face-off on a new episode of guys grocery games at eight on food network movie selection for tonight. True Lies is on AMC at 7. In live sports, the NBA has two games on ESPN tonight starting at 6.30. The New Orleans Pelicans and the Brooklyn Nets square off. At 9, the Utah Jazz and the Phoenix Suns close out the night in the league. In college baseball, we've got Cal State Fullerton at San Diego at 5 on ESPNU and FIU against number 18 Miami at 7 on ACC Network. Every day, we get closer to the Masters starting tomorrow. On ESPN2, Wednesday at the Masters will be on. If soccer floats your boat, CONCACAF Champions League is on FS1 at 7 between Club Lyon and Toronto FC. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. College basketball superlatives here on the On the Line, the Wednesday edition of On the Line. And for those of you who are wondering what a superlative is like Lance was before a couple of breaks ago, it's what's in your yearbook when someone was best dressed or most well-rounded or most likely to succeed things like that and we're going through the ncaa tournament and naming teams in these categories we've already gone through three best offensive team best defensive team most well-rounded team now we are on to toughest team sting you've been going first go for it
3: well my toughest team is your most well-rounded team no i put michigan i felt like they were one of the toughest outs in the tournament even though i did have them losing in the elite eight in my bracket and it's like one of the only picks i got right i had the team beating them wrong but I felt like Michigan was a really tough out for the same reasons that you had them had them as most well-rounded. They were just so good in every facet of the game that it was going to be hard to find a weakness.
1: What about so, you? What about UCLA, gentlemen? Like UCLA, I didn't want to say was the most well-rounded team like you guys did because I, I really don't think that they were that good. They just found different ways to win different games. They definitely received the benefit of the fact that a lot of teams didn't shoot well free throw wise against them, that definitely helped them out in several ball games because Alabama, of course, we saw how bad they shot free throws against them eleven for twenty five. That pretty much was a big that was a big factor in why UCLA was able to advance beyond the sweet sixteen. But this UCLA team, you know, there was also the, the joke going around that you have to kill Mick Cronin in order to <laughs> in order to beat him, right? And this UCLA team, I'd say, was the toughest out in the NCAA tournament, aside from the team that won the NCAA tournament. Because it took a miracle shot. To send Gonzaga into the national championship game. Right. And UCLA was the one team outside of, once again, the team that won the national championship that actually gave Gonzaga a game. And then they 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 also, once again, UCLA did find different ways to win, but I think that's more of a testament to their toughness and the difficulty in which it was to eliminate from them from the NCAA tournament. They just kept fighting. As soon as you thought you had them in their grave, boom zombie Bruins so I have a hard time with uh, I have a hard time with selecting anybody other than this UCLA team but I I do think there are a few that at least were were tough they were tough NCAA tournament teams like an Oregon State Loyola Chicago I think a lot of those teams are are tough what you got Lance
2: I think outside of UCLA and I I do like that pick I think there are a few different ways you could take it you could choose Oregon State you could go with Houston but I'm going to take this in a different direction I understand they only played three games but oh, I Oral going. Roberts, yep. for a 15 seed to make the Sweet 16 oh, yeah. and take Arkansas down to the wire. I think they get give Baylor a game if they make it that far. That shows some true grit from a 15 seed. So I'm going to pick Oral Roberts as yep. the toughest team in this entire field because that doesn't just happen.
1: Every single one of their games was decided by a possession. And you got to be able to grind it out, and Oral Roberts
2: did that. So I'm going to pick Oral Roberts... I think they're easily the the toughest team in the tournament because even though they didn't make it to the Elite Eight, they didn't accomplish anything truly crazy, you got to be able to grind out some of these games in order to get some close wins, and they did that every single game that they played, and unfortunately, they they, they, they lost to Arkansas in crude fashion.
1: I agree with that. I mean, the Oral Roberts is like the value brand version of UCLA with their tournament runs. Oral Roberts ended much sooner, but UCLA was winning a lot of one-possession games against teams that went down to the wire until they finally lost one in, how did you put it? a crude way a crude
2: fashion <laughs> to get it to get such an open look with only like 3.7 seconds left on the clock to be able to have to get it all the way down the court and get a three up and they got such a clean look it was just a little too strong and to the right it was just so disappointing
1: devastating was the way that ucla lost to gonzaga absolutely devastating let's get one more in here best dress team
3: oh i had fun with this one if anybody was uh, watching the stream and look watching really closely they probably would have seen me uh, quickly googling college basketball uniforms, kind of get a. Got a minute, Sting? Well, I know. Okay, fine. Villanova. I, I, I like they the are way fire. Their, their two tone blue matched together. They got a light blue alternate that I really like. Villanova.
2: I have four different picks. I'm going to go through them here real quick. I really like <laughs> some of the colors on these jerseys. I really like North Texas. I love their jerseys. Ugh. I've always loved Syracuse. I really like the mean little checker stripe pattern down the side of their jerseys. Syracuse's jersey.
1: are sweet. They were a finalist for mine. North Ke- North Texas, gross. I'm averse to the color green. It's a very mean it's a very green. nice
2: shade of green. It's anyway, Drake green. Drake has a very pretty color of blue. I really like their jerseys. I was thinking that entire first four game. Uh, I was like, <clears> man these are some really awesome jerseys like i love them a lot and then texas tech would probably be my last pick i love texas tech's
1: colors i went ucla so there's my duplicate the tradition of the ucla uniforms i legit have contemplated for two or three years getting a ucla basketball jersey they're pretty they are i like their whites their whites are clean and then the blue and the yellow going alongside of it absolutely phenomenal uniforms and an absolutely phenomenal hour number one of on the line In a couple of minutes, we'll be back with our number two. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment.
0: You are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at FoxSports983.com or ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502.
1: Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Also joined by intern Sting as well. We'll have him back on the show with us in just a little while when we wrap up our college basketball superlatives. We were doing that for the last couple of segments, but we'll start off hour number two with our 8A depth chart series, wrapping up the quarterback position that we opened the show with. We want to hear from you. Fun lines were open to anything under the sun in the sports world auburn related or not auburn related we got you here 334-321-1390 we want to hear from you so call in a day depth chart series here cornerbacks are what we're going through today safeties are are are, that that'll be how we end the day depth chart series next week as a day is next saturday not this saturday but next saturday april 17th A day depth chart series here cornerback position my number one and number two was roger mccreary and nehemiah pritchett lance went with a hot take that i really like and i do think we will see him play a lot you went with mccreary at one and then dreshawn miller was the hot take at two and i do like that i will feature dreshawn miller later on in my list but let's get to the three spot lance who do you have in your three spot on the depth chart so you talked about pritchett a lot and I, i i
2: did end up putting him at three and i really like what he brings to the table for the tigers this season but i do think just based off of seeing what kamal had in did oh I'm sorry not Kamal Haddon I was just I'm sorry I was just reading off his name Dreshawn Miller did at West Virginia last season you see how well that unit performed and he was one of the best corners in that unit so I have to believe he's going to be a crucial piece for the Tigers this season if he does get extensive playing time like we said before we went to break earlier and in, in the hours like there's no way the Tigers would have signed him had they not told him that he would be getting that playing time. So Simpson's down at four on your list. So Simpson is down at four on my list simply because, like you said, Pritchett was able to get a lot more time once Simpson went down with an injury. So if we're talking about experience, I think Pritchett gets the nod because Simpson is not. I think
1: it's pretty consensus everywhere that Pritchett is going to be above Simpson on the depth chart by virtue of last season's results and
2: let me let me be clear I really do like Jalen Simpson I really like him as a player I'm really excited to see how he plays Uh, last season I brought it up two or three times on the show I'll say it again that hit against Kentucky really got me fired up for the rest of the season and then he went down with an injury and it was really sad but I do think he's going to be a fantastic player this Auburn secondary loaded loaded with talent
1: yeah just because someone is featured down on the depth chart for the quarterback position for us does not mean they're not talented everyone that I'm listing here on my six deep is talented there's just not enough snaps to go around and not enough spots unless this Auburn team wheels out the 3-1-6 defense again or whatever it was last year that they that they had going on a 3 or yeah that would be at the 3-1-7 defense that they had against LSU for the last couple of years and then Mississippi State also so unless they transition to that these guys are going to have a hard time getting on the field at least all at the same time my third option here is Jalen Simpson not Dreshawn Miller I have Dreshawn Miller at fourth on my depth chart going into the spring that could change and I am high up on Dreshawn Miller but I'll talk about Jalen Simpson before I get to Miller and we'll just go ahead and, and just have our three and our four because you did just talk about Simpson so my three and my th- my four Jalen Simpson and Dreshawn Miller Simpson he was having a solid start to last season before he got hurt That's when Nehemiah Pritchett jumped over him on the depth chart, pretty much held that position for the rest of the year. Having a year of playing time and the spring, though, helps keep him ahead of Miller for me on the depth chart going into the spring because, A, Joshua Miller is not here for the spring. So how can I put him above somebody that is here for the spring? On top of that, already having a year of playing time inside this program I think gives Simpson just a tad bit of an edge – in terms of playing time for Dreshawn Miller. Also, his versatility makes it hard to nail him down at any one spot in this defensive backfield. You could see Simpson play anywhere in this defensive backfield. I wouldn't rule it out that he could play some safety if they needed him to do it. Simpson can work anywhere in this defensive backfield. So that brings me to Dreshawn Miller now. You could see Dreshawn Miller be the fourth guy on this depth chart for the defensive backfield but receive more snaps at cornerback than we see Jalen Simpson. It's hard to unpack because Dreshawn Miller is not on campus yet and that's a big reason why I've got him so low on the depth chart but something to be said about Miller is that he's obviously talented. You've already brought up all the statistics in the last hour. Do you still have those statistics in front of you? I can pull them up for you real quick. Real. Quick. Once you get those then we'll go back to those. Dreshawn Miller has some impressive statistics transferring over from West Virginia he's got all that excellent class credit that he's bringing over to Auburn's defense right and you're talking about what he was able to do last year one of the best secondaries in all of college football that actually allowed the least amount of yardage in terms of passing yards in college football and he was a starter in that group so you have to give him some credit for that this coaching staff obviously liked the guy because they went out to go and recruit him they obviously wanted to bring him to Auburn this is this coaching staff's player. This, is, this coaching staff, this, he, they, he was not recruited by Gus Malzahn. He was recruited by Coach Mason. He was recruited by Zach Etheridge. He was recruited by Coach Harson. They obviously wanted to go out and get this player and bring him. And so with that, that makes me think that there's got to be some type of promise of playing time associated with that. Like, dude, you're going to play if you come here because how do you leave a starting role at West Virginia knowing that also Tyke Smith is transferring out? How do you know that after some of these players are leaving that defensive backfield and you're already a starter, how do you leave that situation and come to Auburn and not expect playing time when you're trying to make it to the next level and you were one of the better defensive backs at the Big 12 last season, which is such a pass-oriented league. So I think we see him play a lot, and I think there's going to be a healthy rotation of two through four on this depth chart between Pritchett, Simpson, and Miller. But if I'm talking about a hierarchy here, which means absolutely nothing, because once again, I think all of these guys are going to see the field one through four, the only guy who's not rotating around is Roger McCreary. He's going to be on the field at all times. Two through four are going to rotate in my eyes, and Dresden Miller is going to be in the thick of it, possibly with equal playing time amongst Pritchett, Simpson, and Miller. But if I was going with some type of hierarchy, it would be Pritchett, Simpson, or Miller. And I say hierarchy, maybe I should use the words that Brian Harson uses when he discusses his depth chart, pecking order. If that, that, That's essentially what I put together here, and I've got Miller down on that considering he is not with Auburn right now in the spring, and I think that hurts him compared to Simpson and Pritchett, who are already getting to work with players around them in the defense and also getting to work with his coaching staff and building those relationships. Miller isn't getting to do that at the moment. Yeah, so just looking at some
2: of Miller's statistics, though, uh, he missed all of 2019 with an injury, but in 2020, uh, he had a 77.6 coverage grade, according to Pro Football Focus, which was fifth best in the country, and then he also had the fifth best force in completion rate in the Power 5 at 24 percent So like we were talking about earlier, dude's very, very good in pass coverage. Just one of the reasons why West Virginia was so locked down uh, last season at 159.9 passing yards allowed per game. So the reason why I have him so high is I, I just like, oh, I'm really excited about his potential. Now, like you said, he's not even on campus. So how can we rank him high in an A-Day depth chart series? But I, I, do, I do see the potential, and I'm really excited for him moving forward. So There's
1: got to be a placeholder for right. him on the depth chart. There's right? got to
2: be somewhere for him to go. So and I, that placeholder, I think, is in the top four somewhere. I agree. So I, I, that's what the reason why I have him at two. I am not mad at him at four at all. I'm really I'm really high up on both Pritchett and Simpson as well. Just really excited about this defensive back group. I've not been excited about them for a very long time since Steele's got there. Uh, one of my frustrations being that the receivers play the receiver and not the ball. It's one of the most frustrating things to me whenever watching Auburn is the amount of po- uh, pass interference penalties that That's we would see. It's shocking
1: that defense back is your beef, though, with Kevin Steele because I felt like that was when Auburn's DBs got good. I just uh, we've seen guys drafted out of his defenses. I've just seen guys get picked on. Well, see, like guys like Carlton Davis at,
2: during their time at Auburn, they were good, but you would see so many different times, like even with Noeg Benogany, like it felt like he was the weak corner on the field. So nine times out of ten, whenever whenever there would be a bomb or a long play it'd be going to that weak corner it'd be going to the handsy corner and it would be it would pass interference pass interference or a long game you saw it yep. in the tennessee game in 2018 Saw of in the lsu game it was what helped him down the field exactly so it's just it was really frustrating to see kevin Steele guide this this defensive backfield and i'm really excited about it moving forward getting to see Derek mason kind of coach them up in maybe a different way
1: five and six on this list who you got Just to see if we have the same guys.
2: I have five. It's Marco Domeo. And then six? And then six. I'm probably going to have to go with Kamal Haddon.
1: Same order for me. So let's discuss this group here, and then we'll have it wrapped up. Domeo at five due to injuries. We haven't seen the guy play. But everybody tells me that he's talented. Everybody tells, tells me that both of these guys are talented. But the way that I've treated this and the way that I view the quarterback room, one through four are going to see a large percentage of the snaps this season. This is where tough decisions come to play. How do you get Domeo and Haddon onto the field and possibly supplant or replace someone in those spots two through four, like Pritchett, Simpson, and Miller, when you know and I think you believe that those guys are clearly better than Domeo and Haddon? And then also, how do you keep Domeo and Haddon at Auburn University when Domeo and Haddon both are Juco transfers and came here expecting playing time? and elevating their career, and that has not been an opportunity that has been afforded them yet. And in this day and age, with the transfer portal, guys are leaving when they're not getting to play, so how do you keep Domio and Haddon on the roster?
2: I feel really bad putting Kamal Haddon at number 6 just based off the fact that he was a a former top-five corner in both ESPN and, and 24-7's composite rankings out of junior college.
1: community college, last yep. chance
2: you location. That's right. So ju- I feel really bad putting him at six because there's a lot of potential with these guys. Again, just talking about this unit as a whole, very solid, I, be- I believe, from top to bottom. And one of the reasons why we didn't get to see Domio last season was, of course, that injury. But something that I do want to point out is early on uh, during fall camp, Seth Williams was talking about this guy as a potential second rounder in the future. Like he was saying, this guy has a lot of talent. I don't necessarily know if I see that, I roll my eyes to that but there's just so
1: many good players in front of him.
2: exactly because there's so much talent in front of him that's going to get the nod first that I don't I don't see how Auburn does keep these guys happy
1: and maybe they're patient and I think Domio should be patient because he really just needs one guy to leave to see a massive spike in playing time when you evaluate a defensive backfield typically it is spots one through four who see a large percentage of the snaps at cornerback outside of that it's hard to get some of those other corners onto the field Domeo just with one guy leaving which is going to be Roger McCreary you could see Dreshawn Miller take the step to the next level Pritchett and Simpson I also think can go pro after this year as well I don't think that all four of these guys go to the NFL draft after this year but I definitely think you at least see one and that's Roger McCreary and that leaves the door open for Domeo to play next year if two guys leave then Kamal Haddon and Domeo both will see major jumps in playing time so If they're patient, there's room, and it leaves this defensive backfield stacked. If they're not patient, then you could see a mass exodus of Auburn defensive backs after this year because you know Smoke Monday's going pro, and then several of these cornerbacks, I believe, are good enough to get drafted
2: next year. Smoke Monday's going to be a really interesting draft prospect. He's got to be able to fix some things. There are definitely some issues in his game, but he's such a talented player, such a fantastic ball hawk, but there are some issues in his game. Going to be a very interesting draft prospect to watch. When
1: was the last time that we saw an Auburn safety drafted highly? I'm trying to think Ooh, about this. Am I don't know. I'm leaving people off
2: that I'm just not thinking of? As far as highly, I can't think of anybody. But as far as just drafted, period, I think you've got to look at guys like Daniel Thomas. But again, not highly. Not, not a highly touted prospect by any means.
1: Time to go to the Wikipedia. Google is your best friend, everyone. And my laptop died. Ripped. That is brutal. You get on that, and when we come back on the other side of this break, we will evaluate that position, the safety position in the NFL draft, because I am curious about that. So go and find that during the break, and I'm going to go find a charger. (laughs) We'll be back on the other side of this break here on On The Line.
0: You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. We'll be right back. Back on
1: On the Line, and yeah, so we went and did a lot of research here. Not difficult research, but we found on Wikipedia a list of of Auburn Tigers in the NFL draft, and uh, pretty bad position history at safety, the NFL draft. The last time that someone was highly drafted, say highly, like day one or day two, because there has not been a, a day one or day two guy drafted out of the safety position at Auburn in quite some time. I'm trying to find the last time that someone was drafted day one or day two out of the safety position for Auburn, and we are well into the 2000s at the moment because a lot of quarterbacks, Carlos Rogers, Gerard Powers, players such as that, they were drafted relatively highly. Definitely Carlos Rogers, Gerard Powers, I believe, was a third-rounder. He was. So you look at some of those guys all the way into the 2000s, and then, of course, there have been quarterbacks more recently that have done that as well, but I'm still just trying to find safeties here, and I'm having a really hard time. I don't know if there's been a safety drafted day one or day two in Auburn football
2: yeah. history since 2000. Yeah, Daniel Thomas, I believe, was a sixth-round pick. No, he was a fifth-round pick for the Jacksonville Jaguars day three. in 2020. But that's day three, so we're looking for high draft picks as far as safety is concerned. Day one
1: or day two, and I, there is not one since 2000. No. That is be bewildering.
2: That is wild to I'm me. I'm shocked. Auburn, see, Auburn defensive backs play well in the NFL. I will say that. I will say that. They've been able to generate some longevity. For sure. Especially these past two or three years, we've seen some corners flourish. One of those being uh, Carlton Davis. Noah Benogany was playing pretty well. Uh, Daniel Thomas has been able to uh, get some playing time. Jamel Dean Dean is another guy that uh, you can look at. So Auburn's had some defensive backs drafted, and they've played pretty well, and they've been able to kind of have some longevity in the NFL. But uh, as far as safety is concerned, nothing Hmm. doing. Nothing doing for Auburn.
1: This point was brought up because you mentioned about Smoke Monday being an interesting prospect for the NFL draft. Has a lot to clean up, but he's got all the talent in the world. He has the potential
2: to be the highest drafted safety (laughs) that Auburn has had in a very long time.
1: That's right. That's right. Just by virtue of being one of the only safeties Auburn's had drafted in a very long time. Well, that does it for our 8 day depth chart series. We wrapped up the cornerback position today. If you missed any of that conversation, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. That's all where you can find that. If you want to call into the show, you can reach us at 334-321-1390. That's the number to call once again, 334-321-1390 here on On The Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7, and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Going back to our college basketball superlatives, let's welcome intern Sting back onto the show. We have gone through a handful of categories, five of which we have completed. We've got five more to go, gentlemen, to get through our college basketball superlatives featuring NCAA tournament teams. Sting shows me four fingers. I've added a category. Most overrated team will be the last one that we get to Possibly a last chance to dig at Gonzaga for this NCAA tournament. (laughs) But let's get to it now. Back to our superlatives. Basically things like most likely to succeed that you would find in your yearbook. That's a superlative. We are going through a list. We've done best offensive team, best defensive team, most well-rounded team, toughest team, and best dressed team. Now we're into a little bit more exciting categories, I would say. Most likely thing to remember from this NCAA tournament. When we look back six years from now – and we're doing a show six years from now, and we're doing research on something. And then the year 2020, 2021 comes up. What do we remember from this year's NCAA tournament?
3: I'm always going to remember Oral Roberts. Uh, at first, I put Jalen Suggs' shot, just, but I felt like that was the easy, and so I thought a little bit more. But I also think that something
1: limited to just that small of a moment, I, I, and it was also in a Final Four game.
3: Right. So I th- think that's th- hard th- that's to remember. reason, right? Yeah. So I'm, I went I'm, I'm for a always, little bit more
1: holistic.
3: You're right, so that's why I ended up saying I'm going to go with Oral Roberts' Sweet 16 run. I mean, like Lance said, they were literal inches away from being the first 15 seed to ever reach the Elite Eight. And I don't know, like, I didn't get to watch that third game against Arkansas. But yet they're other...
1: relegated into a place in history only occupied by Florida Gulf Coast University, and right, that's kind of irrelevant.
3: Nobody talks about
1: FGCU anymore.
3: Well, right, yeah, Dunk City, nope, they don't, but... I'll always remember that because I remember getting – I watched them right here – beat Ohio State, take them to overtime, and I got to watch them beat Florida.
1: In that very seat.
3: Yeah, in this very seat, exactly, yes. And you will remember that chair six
1: years from now I when will. you think about this tournament. I know exactly I where I was when Oral Roberts beat the most disappointing team at the NCAA tournament. And I
3: also remember where I was when I when they beat Florida a couple days later. And, but yeah, th- so that that's my most likely thing to remember. I think I'm always just going to remember that and be like, wow, that was great to watch.
2: Lance? I think, for me, it has to be UCLA's tournament run because I've said on this show, whenever Levi and I were doing our picks, I wrote them off very quickly. I said their guard play is too inconsistent. Johnny Jang cannot carry this team because he's been Pretty, he's a talented player, but he is too inconsistent to put the team on his back and carry them past Michigan State. Even though Michigan State was turnover prone, I was going with the Spartans and I wrote them off. And boy, was I wrong! In every game that they played, it reminded me of how stupid of a take that was. <laughs> and boy, howdy, was I wrong!
3: But it was such it an incredible. It wasn't a stupid
1: take at the time. I mean, I had to losing They just proved too. you wrong.
3: It just it, it turned turned out to be cold. I just thought Michigan State take. was going to beat them, so I'm with you there. <laughs> they, they, hmm, I did as well.
1: I thought Michigan State would advance also, but this UCLA team did get hot. That is the most likely thing that I will remember from this NCAA tournament. If I do remember this NCAA tournament, it will be UCLA's Final Four run because it, you go back and you're going to see the Final Four teams here. You're going to see two 1-seeds and a 2-seed and then an 11-seed and UCLA was the one who lasted longer. Oral Roberts, of course, is a substantial memory, but I believe I will remember UCLA more because they actually went to the Final Four. They went much further than Oral Roberts, but I don't disagree with you. That's one of the most memorable things from this tournament, UCLA's run beating some really good basketball teams. But also a part of that UCLA run is something that Sting brought up. It is that shot that Gonzaga made in that Final Four matchup against gonzaga ended
3: the run right so right
1: so that will be remembered as part of it and that was a huge shot so i will merge both of you guys together on that and and say that i i believe yes ucla's final four run will be the thing that i remember about this tournament and a team that they went from they're also only the second team from the first four to go this far it's they joined in a, a very exclusive group of teams that is only occupied also by vcu so I think that is what we'll go with there. Most likely thing to remember from this tournament. Most disappointing team. I've already given you guys my answer. Ohio State. When I I gave a sneak peek of that when I was saying that Oral Roberts beat them. And yes, that was foreshadowing. Ohio State is the most disappointing team in this NCAA tournament for me. I also have Gonzaga there. I have Oral Gonzaga. And that's just because I felt like they were capable of winning the national championship this year. The best Gonzaga team to possibly ever play the game and they couldn't win the national championship, but I will reserve this specifically for Ohio State because they were borderline a one seed, and then you play a horrendous game against a 15 seed and you get beat. I think if any time in a tournament, if we're ever doing superlatives again in the future and a two seed loses, yes, they will will go there.
3: My most disappointing team is the Texas Longhorns. Pain. Pain. Yeah, I— I they had got them hot on their run too. I had them going very far in the tournament. They had well. a pretty good season. They were 19 and eight. They ended up winning the Big 12 tournament. They beat Cade Cunningham. That's what I meant by Oklahoma they got hot. State. You're right. So I believed in, in them, and they lost to Abilene Christian in the first round. A 59 percent free throw shooter hit two free throws at the end of the game. But you take not, down Big Bad Texas.
1: But have and, you not come to expect this I have, now, from the University of Texas? And that's why it was
3: so dumb of me to have them going so far. I knew in the back of my mind, I actually have a friend who's a Texas Longhorns fan. I texted him that week. I was like, Texas is going to lose to Abilene Christian, aren't they? He's like, yeah, I think so. I, st- I still left them going very deep in the tournament. And the I had them in the Final Four. So I did as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: Yep. Yep. This was
2: a UT room. I think I think I'm going to go with another 2 seed that was disappointing didn't lose to Grand Canyon but I'm going to go with Iowa. I really oh, yeah. thought I really thought this Hawkeyes team could have at least made it to the Elite 8 and given Gonzaga a run for their money. This category could have been insert Big 10 team here. It's just the let's just go with the, the Big 10 <laughs> period. I mean, goodness great Illinois would have been another fantastic yes. pick. Um but I'm going to go with Iowa just simply because I thought, you know, they're so they have such potential when it comes to shooting the three, and you saw what Auburn was able to do as a five seed. Whenever you get hot, you get hot, and no team can stop you. This Iowa team can shoot the three, and then they have the national player of the year. I thought they would be able to make it a semi deep tournament run. And just the guy based scored thirty
1: something points against Oregon to right. try to keep them alive, and, he and they play, still lose. They
2: still lost to <laughs> Oregon, so I just don't understand. And it how wasn't they fell by apart. single digits, was no, it? No, it wasn't. It was a uh, let's see, ninety five to eighty was the final score, and you had a player score.
1: Over a third of your points. So I
2: knew their defense was bad. I just didn't know Oregon would be able to drop 95 on their head. So it was just very disappointing for me because I had them in the Elite Eight and I had debated for a very long time of whether or not I wanted them to beat Gonzaga. Well, if they've gotten to this point, they've got to be hot. And can, Zaga, can Gonzaga stop that? Buying
1: so. into your bracket.
3: Risky philosophy. risque. Nope. Talk yourself into yep. it. I talked myself into <laughs> Texas as well. And, yeah. uh, hey, I did too. I pain. get it. Pain.
1: Three more categories here for our college basketball superlatives with the NCAA tournament. Most likely to succeed
3: next season.
1: Sting, I know you're excited about this one. I'll let you go first.
3: Yeah, all right. So, I've got the Hogs, Arkansas here. I I think I think they're going to be really good next year. I know they've they've already pulled two transfers out of the out of the portal. They got a guy today. What was his name again? Lance I his name escapes me. The guy they got from Miami, from Miami. today. Chris Lyles from, from Miami.
2: Average 15.9 points per game, yeah. 5 foot 7 guard. Wow, that's yeah. like
3: all of their points, isn't it? It's a, yeah. just about. <laughs> and they got a guy from Pitt who scores his scored in double figures this season too. So they've got those two guys. They've got two guys who are going to be sophomores next season. They got JT Note, Note. They have Desi Sills uh, He's presumably. in the transfer portal. Desi Sills is leaving?
1: He's in the transfer portal. What? Yes, I don't know how you, meant that. How did, uh, how you missed that. How do how you miss that? He is in the transfer portal. That destroys my
3: entire argument. Uh, they do
1: still have talent this Arkansas team this year was building exactly
3: yeah okay well because that guy like strikes fear into my heart I mean he's destroyed Auburn every time he's played them so
1: yeah Desi Seals is in the transfer portal Uh, as of March 31st I don't know how you missed that I don't know either that's that's
3: week old stinking news man that is terrible I don't mm, wow okay somebody go at somebody else go All right
1: so as far as <laughs> I think that they're capable but they're not on my list Teams that could
2: have a really good run next year I'm going to go with Purdue and there oh, are a couple uh, of reasons why I'm going with Purdue Matt Painter's bunch Y'all know how much I love returning production it's a it's a very big factor in how I how I read into certain teams um just looking at the guys they have bringing back I mean they've got some serious talent the the only thing the only two guys that they lost were Aaron Wheeler who averaged 3.9 points per game And a center who was a sophomore that didn't even get playing time that's transferring. So they bring back uh, Trevion Williams, who was averaging 15 and a half and 9.1
1: rebounds per game almost a double double they played their best basketball of the season at the end of the year right which is possibly when those teams are coming together and it can transfer into next season they bring
2: back all of their starters so I'm just looking at th- this Purdue team and it's very similar to how I felt about Wisconsin this year and we saw how that turned out it was like man this is a veteran Big Ten team they should go out there and they should compete get through one of the toughest conferences in the c- country and then be prepared for uh, tournament time but we saw how that panned out with Wisconsin they did beat North Carolina but they couldn't get get past Baylor I think this Purdue team is going to be a little bit different I'm really excited to what they to see what they do next season
1: my most likely team to succeed next season I've got three teams here and I will touch on that's cheating it. cheater Lance did it earlier you that's how true. dare you? you <laughs> used four earlier Gonzaga, obviously, because they are in the WCC and they still return a core of players, although they will be losing Jalen Suggs and Kispert as well. Drew Timmy very well could be returning, for Gonzaga the handlebar mustache could not be riding out of Spokane to the NBA could as well but we know that Gonzaga recruits well and they're going to be the best team in the WCC next year will they be as good as they were this year definitely not but they are definitely amongst NCAA tournament teams here the most likely to succeed next season based on the fact that they play in the West Coast Conference the other two I've got here Alabama they have the number three overall recruiting class in the country and they still return some of their fantastic guard play and then west virginia as well they're only losing like two seniors i like this west virginia team as well they're one of the most consistent teams in the big 12 every year we'll be back on the other side of this break we'll wrap up our college basketball superlatives on the other side of this break
0: stay on the line more of the show when we come back
1: You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Find us on Facebook as well. Fox Sports Central Alabama, ESPN 106.7 and Radio Alabama Sports. That's where you can watch and listen to our show as well. We are on there digitally. Also find us for the online stream of the show on ESBNAU.com and on FoxSports983.com. Sting on the line with us as well. In turn, Sting here for our college basketball superlatives. And we have just one category to go here, gentlemen. And I think this is one that we can kind of dive into a little bit more that might be able to give us a little bit more tread in this segment. Most likely team to not return to the NCAA tournament next season that played in the NCAA tournament this year. That is not, that is not outside of outside of, like, your top 10 seed. So, like, get, give me someone who's reputable. Don't give me Abilene Christian. Give me somebody who's, right. like, don't, yes, don't they're... Don't give you
3: a one-bid team that won their conference tournament. That's exactly. not really fair. Right. So, uh, Missouri. We kind of talked about this just I think for a second. all three of us have Missouri on, on our, we our probably, list. We probably <laughs> all do. Yeah, I mean, Missouri's lo- losing Xavier Pinson. I assume they're going to lose Drew Smith. And if somebody has news that I missed on one of those two guys, then please tell me now. Because <laughs> <laughs> apparently I missed that <laughs> Jesse Sills was transferring from Arkansas. But I assume they're going to lose Drew Smith, too, unless he elects to uh, use the extra year of eligibility. I think basketball players are allowed to have just like football this year. They are. And on top of that, I was just never very high on Missouri for the entire tournament. I remember when they came out with the top 16 seeds at the time, and Missouri was a four seed in that one. I was like, are you, are you serious? I remember Cause... Zach Blackerby and I talking
2: about that uh, during our uh, after-the-game show here on ESPN 106.7. We were going through the top seeds when it was released, and we are like, What? Missouri? Like there's no way that they potentially even win one game in the NCAA tournament. That was where my first round.
1: That was where my anti-Missouri campaign began or began. All my going to get my grammar hate right guys
2: all my homies hate missouri man mm. i apparently have some missouri bias because we were sitting here during the break and i was arguing with you i was like man there's no way they don't make it as like a nine or a ten seed i mean it's like it's conzo martin and i'm talking about oh they're gonna win 10 games in football as well they're a lot to do that apparently i'm the one that has missouri bias so i may need to dial it down a bit
1: <laughs> well you are the guy in the studio that thinks they're gonna win 10 games next year in football
2: it's a lock boys lock it down <laughs>
1: a lot of that's based on the schedule i'm I'm, I'm here for it it is an easy schedule The last time i said that though about them was the kelly bryant year and they had a similar schedule and it was super easy guess what it can't happen twice <laughs> it can't happen twice <laughs> looking at this missouri team this year and their history the last time that they went to an ncaa tournament and then the next season returned to the ncaa tournament was all the way back in 2012 2013 Man. or excuse me well, yes, that year they went back to the tournament. That was a that was a part of a span of five straight years where they went to the NCAA tournament. All of those seasons, they lost in the second round with the exception of the year that they lost in the Elite Eight back in oh eight oh nine, which is too long ago to remember. But you go back to a four-year stretch of not winning an NCAA tournament game under Mike Anderson and Frank Haith. That's pretty bad when they had some okay teams. And since then, they have not had back-to-back NCAA tournament appearances. And I think that trend continues right now with this Missouri basketball team and all of their players leaving. Another team that I've got on here, Rutgers, losing some key players out of their backcourt. Some of their leading scores are going to be departing. They were barely in the tournament this year at seed, and I think some Big Ten bias got them into the tournament. So, And I also think that this tournament was more inclined to bring more power conference teams into it than maybe teams that were outside of that sphere, mid-majors, because... Those mid-majors are having a hard time scheduling teams in the state of college basketball and athletics at this point and collegiate athletics because of coronavirus restrictions and whatnot at various conferences and universities. So Rutgers, I think, may have received a little bit of bias to get into the tournament. I I don't think we see them back next year. And then Loyola, Chicago, I don't think we see them back next year. Just all those players are leaving. A lot of those guys were also a part of that Final Four run that they had several years ago or three years ago. Those players are gone now. They still very well could win their league.
2: My thought but. process is is they, they lost their head coach. And at a, in a group yeah. of five school, not necessarily a group of five, just not a power six school like that, if you lose all of your players and you lose your coach to a power six program in Oklahoma, there's, there's a very low chance that you're able to hire a guy that can rally the troops and get you back into the NCAA tournament. I just don't see it happening. Interesting location. Like Loyola, Loyola, Chicago.
1: Interesting location for Porter Moser. To go to Oklahoma. I find that fascinating. But talk about the Red River rivalry right now, guys. I think it's a great hire. Chris Beard, Porter Moser. That's your coaches in the Red River rivalry for basketball. Should that be sounds fun. like fun.
3: That, that sounds, sounds like a lot, lot of fun. fun. Jeez, yell me a soda. Dang it.
1: Dang it. <laughs> I've not had one of those in years. Yes. <laughs> I know. Oh. Uh, Porter Moser. Bringing it back there. <laughs> Oklahoma's an interesting location for me, though, because I feel like there are a. Middle-of-the-pack team in the Big 12 every year. Pretty much a lot to lose, 10 games. It's kind of hard to elevate them. They're like the Alabama of the Big 12. Excellent at football. A lot of the resources go to football. Basketball? Kind of seems like it's on the back burner for me. So I find that interesting. But maybe they're investing in it. Maybe it's a Nate Oates-like hire. Nate Oates be. came from Buffalo? And so maybe this is a similar situation for Porter Moser. But that does it for our college basketball superlatives as we close the book on the college basketball season, at least today. We'll keep talking about it a little bit more while the season is still somewhat fresh. But let's switch gears here and get into some college basketball conversations and another fun segment, kind of still sticking, I guess, with something along the lines of superlatives or looking ahead and doing lists and whatnot, just off-season conjecture here on On the Line what teams can go undefeated in college football next season. And I'm going to provide you individuals a list. I'm going to provide you guys a list of teams that maybe are most likely to go undefeated in college football next season. And I want us to discuss this list with a, you know, seeing how likely it is for them to go undefeated next year. And and we'll ride out the show this way. This will be one of our last topics here. We'll also get you caught up on what's going on with the Braves and whatnot. But this is the direction I'm going to take it in from pretty much here out. Obviously, the answer here at the top of this list, I would assume, is the elephant in the room, the Alabama Crimson Tide, most likely to go undefeated next year. I think we would all agree with that statement. But something important to note about Alabama that a lot of people know, and this is well-documented, Bryce Young, new starting quarterback for Alabama, there's a little bit of a learning curve. I I don't care how talented you were coming out of high school. I don't care how high of a recruit you were. This is your first year starting. There has to be some type of development curve with that. Also, all of his receivers just left and went pro. He loses his running back. A lot of offensive linemen. Of course, if there's any team in college football that is going to reload, it's going to be Alabama. A lot of experience on the defensive side of the football, but not a lot of returning production on the offensive side of the ball. Lance, you had some great statistics on this Alabama team with returning production. I'm curious, what say you, gentlemen, does Alabama go undefeated this year?
2: I, I think Alabama has a very good chance to go undefeated every year. Like they, they always are in the running for that. Just looking at the statistics that you were talking about that I brought up just the other day, uh, 110th nationally in returning production out of 127 teams, 55% overall. 33% of their production on the offensive side of the ball is returning. That's 126th out of 127 teams nationally and then 77% on the de- defensive side of the ball but the defense wasn't that great last year for Alabama it wasn't bad at, by any means it just wasn't a typical Alabama defense we haven't seen one of those in just a couple of years here uh, 77% 40, 41st nationally but you know even though they're bringing in a freshman quarterback and Bryce Young it always just seems the same same thing for Alabama it's just they they reload every single year Bryce Young and guys like Tua Guys like Jalen Hurts, you know, you don't let Cooper Bateman play in that game against USC. You pull, you pull him, you put in Jalen Hurts, all of a sudden you have a borderline fringe Heisman contender and you're, you're going to the national championship. Guys like Tua, one of the greatest quarterbacks that we've seen in the last couple of decades— and you know, with a guy like Bryce Young, five star quarterback, I believe he's he's higher rated than Tua was coming out of high school. I may be mistaken, but you know, it's just another quarterback in the world. Long- he's also
1: on the mainland though, you right. know. Tua was coming from Hawaii. That that plays a that plays something into it, I think. It's harder to get out to Hawaii to get tape on high school recruits or to, you know, get coverage of a high school recruit than it is on someone in the state of California, where all recruiting is apparently based, other than that in <laughs> Texas and Florida. So
2: But I just feel like he's Young is going to be another quarterback in the long line of talented, highly recruited uh, quarterbacks that Alabama has had here over the past, what, six or seven years now where they've just dominated. So
1: I don't know if I'd go back to say six or seven years, but it started with Jalen Hurts and then moved up to Tua. And then from Tua to now, um, why why am I now all of a sudden drawing a blank? Bryce Young, and then also from Bryce Young now to their most recent commitment was his last name Simpson? Was that? Am I? I'm going to go look that up real quick while, while we say that. But you're making all valid points, Lance. So, another team
2: that I think we should also look out just outside of, like, you know, the teams that normally dominate, which would be Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson. Uh, both Clemson and Ohio State will run the risk of losing a game this year, I believe. I think a team that we should be looking at and, uh, They may not be on everybody's mind, but I do believe they're a preseason top 25 team, and that is the Liberty Flames. I believe they have a really good chance to uh, go undefeated this year, and there are a couple of reasons for that. You're You're being completely serious
1: right now, too.
2: I'm being very serious right now. They're returning Malik Willis. They're returning Malik Willis. Again, returning production. They're sixth nationally. 95% of their returning production on offense (gasps) comes back. That, that is enough That is enough to potentially go undefeated with the with the schedule that Liberty plays. What percentage plays. again? 95% of their offense comes back. That's so, second nationally. So
1: Malik Willis is the lone returning starter? Malik Willis <laughs> is coming back, and that is it.
2: Um, but just looking at their schedule, they play Campbell at home. They play at Troy, Old Dominion. They play at Syracuse. They play at UAB, Middle Tennessee, at ULM, at North Texas, UMass, and then what is arguably the toughest game of their schedule, uh, November 6th at Ole Miss, then they play Louisiana, and then they play Army. I believe all of those games, including the Ole Miss game, is very winnable. Even though Ole Miss is also a preseason top 25 team, just based off what I've seen from ESPN and 247, a couple different other uh, sites, they believe that Ole Miss is also a, a top 25 team as well. I think Talk about a game that's going
1: to be 70 points on both sides. Exactly.
2: If, if, if they can keep they up offensively, that, you know, this could, that could be a really good game, and Liberty has a really good chance to win it. So talking about teams going undefeated, Liberty is probably at the top of my list, and then there's Alabama. <laughs>
1: Hot take. Uh, Alabama's going undefeated for me this year. I look at their schedule. They're not. I don't think see them losing anybody. Most recently, it has taken some really great Auburn football teams and some crazy moments, with the exception of twenty nineteen. Okay, twenty nineteen. I don't think that was a great Auburn team. I thought it was a good Auburn team that played really hard and made some exciting things happen in that football game and made some crazy plays that you typically don't see made, and they just happen to compile all of their amazing plays into one game against. Alabama or against Alabama in that one game right I mean think about some of the you know missed field goal from Alabama you also talk about Sal catch catching the end zone and then the field goal right before halftime just Auburn made a lot of incredible plays two pick sixes a 100 yard pick six I mean all of Auburn's epic plays of that season put into that one game and that helped them beat Alabama that's just
3: the iron bowl it's unexplainable it voodoo plays when it's in Auburn it's I and think, it is I, in I Auburn think, this I think, year I think you have to take that into account I really feel like you Auburn do. has
1: won the last two games in Auburn as well so that is that's fair that's fair outside of Auburn though I don't see them losing to anybody and I don't think they lose to Auburn this year so I think there's too much going against this Auburn football team and too much going for this Alabama team and I don't don't want to get into breaking down why I think Alabama is a better team than Auburn I think that's pretty much a given at the moment but I don't see them losing to Miami I don't see them losing on the road to Florida Emory Jones I'm not I don't trust him to be a talented enough passer to be able to push them past uh this Alabama football team and then other SEC West teams they're going to they're going to destroy Ole Miss, A&M, Mississippi State, Tennessee, LSU. I, I mean, that game's in Bryant-Denny Stadium. Not a chance. Arkansas. So I don't see Alabama losing anybody. I think among the teams, the major teams, the major, the major programs, Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama all lost quarterbacks. All of them. Uwe Angalalele has probably the most on tape out of any of the quarterbacks that are going to be starting for those three teams. But Bryce Young is probably the best quarterback among this group, I, I just have a hunch on that one, just because of how highly touted he was coming out of high school. But Alabama's schedule more favorable than most of these teams. Clemson, I wonder if an ACC team can jump on them. I think this is a bit of a down year for Clemson, but the ACC may be so weak that no one's able to pick them off this year. Maybe they end up still twelve and zero. I don't know. I think Miami has a pretty good chance to
2: uh usurp Clemson at the top of the ACC. Now, is it going to happen? Eh, probably not. But Miami does have a really good chance to do it this year. I think North Carolina also has a pretty good shot to do it as well. Again, just based off of returning production, Miami third nationally. They bring 95% of their offense back as well.
1: But North Carolina is not among that group. North, think about
2: all the guys going to the NFL. North Carolina is actually 33rd nationally in returning production. It's a lot which higher is, than I would have thought. Which is a lot higher than I would have expected. And just looking at the guys that they bring back on the offense, I'm sorry, 32nd, 77% on the offense, 81% on the defense. I'm surprised they're bringing that much back on the offense just based off their two running backs going and some of their receiver production
1: all of their best players are leaving though and I think that has to account for something although they return a substantial amount of production they return Howell, but what else
3: you know. Exactly, like so, key
1: players from last year, even on the defensive side. You're talking about Surratt leaving off the linebacking core. Like this North Carolina team's losing a ton of their losing, best uh, talent. Michael
3: Carter and Javante Williams, both right, That's right. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Those guys are both gone, and those are two of the best running backs in the country. All
1: of their best players gone. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious on North Carolina. What Miami's about, probably a better candidate. What about or Oklahoma? just generic ACC team here like Pittsburgh that might pull an upset? Yes, but. sir. Oklahoma yeah, is in a the team. Big 12. Yes, That's,
3: I think because Spencer Among, Rattler developed so much. I don't know exactly who's returning and who's leaving from that team, but they just had such a strong finish to the year. It's also Oklahoma, but I'll that say too. this about yeah, Oklahoma: that helps.
1: having lost to Kansas State two years in a row, having lost to Iowa State two out of the last three years, I think that accounts for something because this Oklahoma team in recent years has shown the ability to lose to some random. Some random team in the Big 12, the 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 proverbial traffic cone, if you will, in the Big 12, they they run over it. They they typically right. don't they typically don't avoid it. So I, I all of these teams, and I think the point that I'm trying to illustrate with this segment, as we're about to go to break, what I'm trying to illustrate is that all of these teams in college football, we may be, we may be about to experience a down year in college football. I really am curious to see if anybody will go undefeated this year. There's a glaring issue for every single team in college football. Maybe that'll make for a good segment in the future, pinpointing the major questions for college football teams moving forward. That'll do it for this segment of On the Line. We'll come back and wrap up the show on the other side of this break. Stay with us. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Lance Dahl with you here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Wrapping up the show here, got about four minutes left in our show, and then at four you got The Drive with Bill Cameron coming up from four to six like they do every weekday following us here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Before we wrap up the show here, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. It's Wednesday and that means a new episode of The Masked Singer on Fox at 7. It's the Group B Finals as the remaining singers battle it out for their spot in the Super 8. It's an all-star family face-off on a new episode of Guys Grocery Games at 8 on Food Network. A movie selection for tonight, True Lies is on AMC at 7. In live sports, the NBA has two games on ESPN tonight starting at 6.30. The New Orleans Pelicans and the Brooklyn Nets square off. At 9 the Utah Jazz and the Phoenix Suns close out tonight in the league in college baseball we've got cal state fullerton at san diego at five on espnu and fiu against number 18 miami at seven on acc network every day we get closer to the masters starting tomorrow on espn2 wednesday at the masters will be on if soccer floats your boat Concacaf champions league is on fs1 at seven between club leon and toronto fc i'm noah gardner and that's what's on tv tonight Back on On the Line here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Got about three minutes left in the show. Something we talked about yesterday, and I don't know if this means Coach Gus Malzahn agrees with me, but we were talking about on yesterday's show SEC teams dumping spring games and actually playing exhibitions against other FBS opponents or FCS opponents, whatever floats your boat. And we got that idea yesterday, and we mentioned this, of – and a Knoxville News Sentinel article by Blake Topmeyer who was suggesting this as well, and I completely agree with the idea. Not that Lance disagreed, but he wasn't as hot for it as I was. But Paul Feinbaum talked about it on his show yesterday, and then tweeted about it, and then guess who liked it? Coach Your boy Gus
2: on. Yes, sir. I don't sir.
1: know if that means he agrees with it. Uh, of course, UCF is in the image that he's talking about, blank Florida, but you know I. I think that's interesting because you, you made the point yesterday, you don't know how many coaches would want to reveal stuff, and Coach gone would fall into that category, I think exactly. you would assume. But uh, maybe, maybe that would be something. I hope somebody asked him about this. I hope somebody out there covering UCF football saw that he liked this tweet, and I want them to ask him this but they may not be as perceptive as we are.
2: Uh, well, we were talking about it earlier this morning. It's like the, I'm really surprised out of all the coaches that could have potentially liked this tweet, it was Malzahn because we know how clo- close he held his cards to his chest during his time at Auburn. So really surprised to see him in support of that. I mean, obviously, if you like it, obviously, I would assume that Malzahn's in support of it. He's not just liking a fine bond tweet just to like it. Um <laughs> So it's very interesting to me. So that tells me, you know, it's like if, if he, a college football coach, out of like any college football coach is supportive of it, then I've got to imagine that there are a lot of other coaches out there that would be down for this idea as well. I mean, we were talking about it, and, you know, we were going back and forth, and I kind of disagree on a couple of different things, but I do I do understand the relation to college basketball. It's like, well, they do it too, so why couldn't college football do it as well? And I believe there are some reasons, but still, it would be a fun thing
1: to make happen the difference between college basketball and what i'm suggesting here too is college basketball does closed door scrimmages right against other teams like auburn might go and play georgia tech in a closed door scrimmage there's no media there you might see john rothstein report about something that occurred you know but very few people are allowed there and it, and you really don't hear a lot about it it's very different from you know if auburn was playing like barry college or something like that in an actual exhibition game kind of curious why college basketball teams don't make those like their exhibition games why they don't opt to do that i don't know why they have to be closed door i understand that you don't want to give anything away and you don't want anybody to know anybody's balling out or something like that so i think that's all agreed upon but I, at the end of the day your team's going to hit the floor and, and eventually people are going to get information on you they're going to get taped
2: it's just a matter of time it's just like and it just uh, the question is now is like well whether or not it matters if it whether or not it matters if tape is seen preseason And so I think that's what keeps some coaches from saying, I don't know if we really want to do this, but I understand how fun it would be from a fan's perspective.
1: That does it for another edition of On the Line, the drive with Bill Cameron following us here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. We'll be back with you guys tomorrow. You know where to find us.